Yeah. So what are we doing today, Joel? What's the point of this podcast? There is no point. Forever. It's very existential. <laughs> I like it. It's great. Uh, we have. Let, let's tell the people, the guests, uh, the people in the audience, say they can hear us. I'll just start. Our guests today are two people that work for the company, so this is kind of an insider podcast. We have uh, Robert Carteno, who's the head of the community team. Hello. Live from Melbourne, Florida. Did I, is that right, Melbourne? I'm actually in Palm Bay, but it's most people know Melbourne. Okay. Let's just call it Melbourne. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and from St. Louis, Rebecca Churn. Hello. Which Chernoff. is sort of <laughs> Chernoff, our Churn. Rebecca yes. Chernoff. I'm sorry. Exactly. I, I like to think of you as Archem because the, the kerning is very bad in the fonts that I use. <laughs> Lovely. It's, it's called Kemming, you know, when the kerning isn't right. And so, mm-hmm. okay. That was last week's joke. I don't think I'll try to use it. And um, some of you may know Jeff Atwood from, from his uh, vacation abode in El Cerrito, California. That's right. Um, so uh, I wanted to start with the topic, Joel. Sure, go ahead. That's okay. Yeah. I don't want to be too aggressive. But I do have a topic that I would like to discuss. Yeah, we, that was the point of this podcast: is to discuss um, some community community oriented oh, topics. See. That was the point, right? <laughs> uh, okay, so one thing that, that comes up a lot, and actually came up on the Moot podcast, which I thought was excellent. Hopefully, it was. People enjoyed that one. I enjoyed that one a lot. Was that he brought up that one of the dangers of having communities that sort of you have to make go away is the people in the community get attached to the community, even if it isn't very big. Uh, and at the end of that period, there's sort of a lot of resistance because they've been around so long. And I think we've had a number of communities that they're not doing badly, right? Like if you go to stackexchange.com sites, and like Joel said, you scroll down to the bottom <laughs> of that <laughs> list. These are not bad communities. No. I mean, because well, we have a policy, is. like if it's bad, you know, if it's not working, we'll, we'll make it go away, right? Because it has to. But the question is, like, what do you do when these go, go on for a very long time, but they're not really getting good traction i should you know, sort of I was just curious yeah. well uh, i thought what, we should have a discussion with them that's a good discussion i have a whole bunch of things to suggest one is i want to tell a random um uh, uh old shaggy dog story um which is the joel and software forums uh which it, it some some of the people from the joel and software forums were early people in into stack overflow um and they were a little bit of a progenitor is that a word progenitor it is hey the people in the chat room say they can't hear me am i cutting out you're cutting out a lot to yes me you too. are I'm, I'm way squelched, Mr. Alex. I, I will stick close to the microphone for for a moment. No, it's still cutting me out. It's weird. All right. Um, the uh, the Joel on Software forums. Yeah, that's because I'm talking right into the mic. All right. Uh, the the Joel, the original Joel on Software forums. Um, uh, we had just the Joel on Software forum, and then we added a couple more topics. I think there was one that was supposed to be .NET questions. There was one that was uh, business of software that was very successful. There was one called design of software, which flopped. And um, we had a very very strict rule: uh, nothing off topic was allowed. And among other things, what we considered to be off topic was discussing the forums themselves because it was just some crappy Usenet clone software that I wrote. And it was really, really basic just as a way of letting people talk to one another. And, um, you know, it had a lot of design decisions in its basicness, but it was basic. And what would happen is that every single person would come onto those forums and be like, hey, I like these forums. Hey, by the way, I got a suggestion. You should move the yes button over here and the no button over there and the cancel button. And there should be a way to edit your posts and blah, 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 blah. And... Although that content was maybe interesting, it was super repetitive because everybody, every new person would feel like, oh, we haven't talked about how the software should be better that we are using right now. And it was off topic because it wasn't anything about, you know, the business of software, for example, if, if you were on the business of software forum. So, um, so we would just ban that stuff and delete it. Um, 
uh, right away and point people to the FAQ. And uh, over time, there existed a group of people that really wanted to sort of chat amongst themselves and wanted to kind of be friends. And they sort of somehow persuaded me, I don't know how this happened, to create a new discussion group called Off Topic. It was the Jolon Software Off Topic discussion group. Oh, this is going to be fun. I'm going to do something fun in this podcast. And so the Jolon Software Off Topic discussion group was where all those people went and chatted amongst themselves uh, about uh, whatever the hell they wanted. And it was very freewheeling and open and 4chan-y. And there was a lot of um, uh, stuff that you wouldn't necessarily want your family to read by mistake. Um, But it was hard to find the Off Topic forum. It was a little bit buried. That's to keep people from finding it. Um, so at one point, um, bad things happened, and I won't go into what they are. And uh, we decided that it was a uh, like a literal liability to us to keep the off-topic forum open. Uh, and so we closed it down, and we said, you know, go away. There will be no more off-topic forum. And uh, there had been a group of people, probably 10 really strong people, maybe 30 relatively active people, who were spending hours on the off-topic forum, uh, who were really pissed off when we shut it down. And they built a clone of the crappy Jolin Software Discussion Forum software. There was a clone of Usenet. Uh, which was a clone of Usenet. Well, Usenet was, yeah, yeah, uh, web-based, but yeah. And those people are still, this was like, I don't know, 50 years ago. And those people still have their clone running and the same community with the same human beings are still there talking. Their website is crazyontap.com. And um, it, it's just like, it's just don't go there because it's like not, it's, you know, crazy. It is crazy on tap. It is literally crazy on tap. But I'm, I'm, I'm looking there right now and there is there. Um, actually, uh, some of the people are uh, new. I don't recognize. Some, but some of the people I do recognize from the original uh, Jolon Software forums and they're still uh, pretty friggin' active. Let's see when the last post was, December 7th. Well, that's today. So they're still uh, going strong. Uh, having been uh, kind of ripped out of our system because we couldn't bear the thought of it. Is that really relevant, though? Because that's like all off topic. How is that relevant? That's like true, but really... I mean, it talks. To, it, it it says something about the stability of communities, right? Like the communities will cling to life no matter what, and they will be really. They'll be angry if you try to say, I, I it, like it's it, just because you built a hangout for the kids, and the kids are hanging out in the hangout, and then you close down the hangout. The that group of kids are now socially connected, and they don't want to go away they will they will resist well robert did you have any thoughts on this because i think we are getting up on and again these communities are not doing poorly i don't want to call any of these communities out because if they really sucked we would terminate them really they, they don't they're not doing anything wrong right but well, that's it a- does raise the question of if they don't sort of get traction like they don't sort of take off like you know yeah, i mean we we identify sites that you know that are either duplicating content or they're somehow hurting the internet or or harming the name brand or something like that and, and you know we, we have our share of those shutdown ones um the, the the conundrum we run into is um you know where it's where it's just a something something isn't quite right about the site we just didn't get the scope right or you know they, they produced some decent content but we just sort of know they're they're just never going to go anywhere so do you close them down because you sort of don't want to keep leading them by the nose, or do you just sort of let them exist, like in the context that you know they're they're pretty much harmless. They're not hurting anyone. It, it it provides some value to those few users, and the content always exists on the internet. So so it's really hard to decide at what point do you just archive it and make it available to the few people who will hunt that down, and you know when is it something you could just sort of put on the back shelf as as a legacy value, but no, you know, no real future for it. I, I don't, yeah, it's, it's, a really, it's, it's a really hard problem because if you do look at the bottom, 
you know, the bottom of our traffic listings, it's like, boy, you know, they work really hard at it. You know, how far do we want to lead them along until we just sort of, you know, it's a tough love kind of thing. Well, to go back to my analogy of the public park, so we've created these parks that, that may be nice, but like nobody is going there. You know, right. it's like, well, why does the park exist? The park ultimately exists so that other people can benefit from and enjoy it. To the extent that that's not really happening, maybe those resources should be allocated to other parks. I don't know. I mean, Rebecca, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, well, I, I think it's just, I mean, it's a matter of how long do we let a community just kind of grow and exist and wait until it hits their tipping point? I mean, I mean if you think about it, what, what uh, yeah, it's a hard problem. Like, what, what if we just literally just let them exist forever? You know, what, what does that do to the Internet in terms of our, you know, making the Internet a better place? Are, the, are we really like, if, if the site's not being used, are we really sort of using up resources that we could allocate somewhere else? Yeah, it's, it's, I think, it's a hard I call. Think the, yeah, I think that's the question. And I, I don't know. I mean, Joel, did you have any? I, I, I don't think we can actually have an answer, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. Because I mean, I'm thinking like after a year, there should be some like review point at a year where we decide. That's an interesting question about using up resources because uh, there, are, there are ways in which a site uh, detracts from the quality of the brand even if it's not using up resources so um can we not say quality of the brand because i don't care about yeah. that well right. uh, so the question is the google let's say the google rank care about that page rank well you it's know? not making the internet better like nobody's going there right like who there's the there the a way to make the internet worse there's if nobody goes somewhere there's a way to make the internet worse which is what um uh and this is a far cry from what we're doing on most sites <laughs> but take uh, demand media for example or eHow or one of those companies. What they their business model was: let's find things that are being searched for that we can put seven dollars worth of advertising on and charge three dollars to some or pay some writer three dollars and make four dollars on the difference between the three dollars we pay some writer and the seven dollars in advertising we get. And if we do that a billion times, then we got a billion dollar business. And my math I know is impeccable. Now uh, the. The, what what would happen is they would say, all right, there's a lot of people searching for owls. Let's make an awesome site about owls, and the budget is $4. And so they would pay some schmo somewhere $4 to write an article about owls. What would that guy do? He would go to all the owl websites and cut and paste sentences from here and there and put it together in some completely incoherent, totally wildly crappy piece of crap article on a demand media site. And then demand media would SEO the hell out of that thing. They'd put it on a high-value domain with page rank and gigantic, ginormous link farms all pointing to that. They would have a custom domain, you know, owls.not or something to everything absolutely, literally everything possible to, uh, to promote that owl page, which is a substantially worse owl page than the one that it displaced, but is nevertheless coming up higher in Google ranking. So when you do that, you break the internet, essentially. Uh, I, I don't, um, I don't, uh, think we've ever come close to that but when we have a low quality site there are examples where we have low quality sites where you know 40 percent of the questions are less good than similar questions somewhere else well let's let's talk about that so one thing we do is we have this process where we pick what is it 10 questions at random yeah 10 questions yes uh and we and we review them and try to figure out are they better worse or roughly the same as what's already on the internet. And I know these are becoming a lot of work for you guys. There was some discussion about how to handle these. So maybe you guys could talk about that, like what, what the process is, why we do it, what it's for, how you plan to handle it in the future. 
Well, we do um, an ongoing evaluation of sites, and this is a fairly new process because we have so many sites now that we just sort of can't use them organically and you know make an, a you know a, a, just a, a sort of off the cuff evaluation. So every sixty days, the system sends us ten questions from the site, a sampling of ten questions over the last thirty days, and um, you know so we go through them and we you know we we match them to what's on the internet and look to decide if they're better, or worse, or the same. But um, as Jeff just mentioned, you know, that it's getting to be a lot of work, and and we're now looking at these evaluations and deciding what is it we can do with this information we find. So, so what we're heading towards now, and we're really just starting this process, and we haven't flushed it out yet, but um, is is doing this evaluation in full view of the community, whether the community does it or we do it and present it to them. And um, ideally, the community really should be doing these these self-evaluations because yeah. they're way more qualified to determine like if their information is better than what's out there. Um, but, but ultimately, we want to really turn this into, number one is when you find problems, the community is now aware of the kinds of things they need to work on. And number two is tying it to like graduation. You know, instead of just waiting for a certain quantity of questions or a certain amount of traffic is saying, you know, we're really looking for when you've surpassed, you know, when you when you've passed that point where you're making the Internet better and not just the same or worse. Right. And, and actually do, tying that intimately to graduation. So we're, we're struggling with, like, how do we get that sort of work out of the community? And, you know, how do we sort of objectively evaluate what they feel about their own content? So it, it, that's it. I think that's a good point is like the first start by just doing it on the meta, you know, mm -hmm. like actually asking questions, like start with a question like, you know, the 60 day evaluation, we, we pick these 10 questions at random. And then the, the first answer would be from you, Robert, like evaluating each question and your opinions and thoughts on each one. And hopefully this doesn't take too long. Like when I've done these, it's like an hour or two hours. It, it's hard for us to tell on certain specialized subjects. Like, so I have no way of telling you if the Japanese site questions are any good at all <laughs> or if the answers that are there are correct or best or worst well that, that's somewhat true for sure but i think also you can tell like you know not, let's forget japanese because proper english like is it written in a way that i can understand like does it you know does it have bullet points is it coherent does it provide references you don't actually it's you can get a surprising amount of currency out of like is this a coherent answer that, that tells you, a story uh, yeah that gets you to a certain point but there's what's interesting i have i have often spoken to experts on subjects uh, i've done it on quantitative finance on statistics there's some of these have gotten better on linguistics um where i've spoken to somebody who's a deep expert on the subject and said what do you think about this and they've said well these are baby questions these are these are really amateur questions like but they would also say that about wikipedia joel i mean uh, a lot of these guys that are really hard for um, sometimes i mean i've had many people tell me they think wikipedia really sucks and i mean it's relative i mean i, I see what you're saying for sure i'm not what you're saying is true for sure i mean uh, it's good to have true experts in these really deep fields come in and look at it yeah but i think you can get easily half half of the way there because so much of the content on the internet is just really bad <laughs> like really bad like experts exchange bad, right? Well, it doesn't where, take a where, genius where to getting... look at experts exchange and go, "This is a bad experience," right? Yeah. Uh, well, the experience, yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> well, the whole thing. I mean, the the information, the experience, the, just the basics of it. But the quality of the information. Sometimes sites which look good to us are actually a lot worse than we think. I mean, they actually they have the form of a good site, but if you ask an expert, they say, "Well, this." These people don't know what they're talking about. The question doesn't even make sense. Well, then we shouldn't be asking the community because, therefore, the community is not, has no expertise. That, that so if you put is. it on the meta, then it's not going to help you because they'd say, oh, it looks good to us, right? Uh, yeah, maybe. So then what's the point of asking the community in that yeah, case? I, well, I don't know. Maybe they are 
that's a good that's a good point. I mean, maybe they maybe they at least know that they're not doing so well. Well, maybe we need a better procedure of what a question evaluation comprises of. It, it's almost like um, show us your data, sort of thing. You know, do a search and show us the better result or the worst result. It, it's something a little bit more objective than just saying, it, you know, is it better, worse, or the same? I, I don't know how we do that. We had but. talked about contacting experts and like paying them an honorarium, basically just to review our content, give them the ten sample questions. And like you said, Joel, we have to reach, sometimes maybe even reach beyond the community to figure out if it's working because we don't have the experts that we need on some of these yeah. sites, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. So find the expert, pay them the honorarium, do the evaluation, and then basically post that evaluation on the meta. It's like, look, we contacted Joe Schmo, expert in quantitative finance, who's written these 10 books on the topic, and here's what he said. Yeah. Maybe hmm. that's the way we should be doing this. And I, we had always been very shying away from this idea of paying people to do stuff on the site but well that's not paying people to do stuff what we shy yeah. away from is paying people to create content for us yes. but yeah but to evaluate sites i'm happy to pay for that it's still work though because we have to figure out like sure. who they are find them yeah <laughs> i mean maybe that could be a meta question it's like who are the experts that should be evaluating the site right, right. <laughs> i mean that ties into promotion too right these are ultimately the kind of people that you want to be aware that your site exists anyway right so maybe that's a good way to approach this for some of the sites like i and I get your point about like quantitative finance. I know nothing about, but you know, I thought uh, I thought it actually looked good, and I showed it to Jared, and he said like like nobody he works with, if if the people that he works with were to ask these questions, they would be you know fired. I mean, these are like these like it, do, it doesn't it's 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 like a sort of a uh, you know a chef not understanding that milk curdles, you know, <laughs> like that right. kind of stuff, really basic. But I definitely like the idea of involving the community. It's just the paradox of I think you have to reach beyond the community, Robert, and, and perhaps yeah. this. That sounds, uh, it's an interesting idea. I have to think about that a little bit. But I definitely well, like the idea of doing it on the meta. Like, okay, we're contacting this expert. Here's the 10 questions we're sending this person. Um, well, our action item at this point is um, we, we have backed up so many evaluations that, that are just piling up in our, on our, uh, our action board is um, we're going we're gonna to spend the next like, week or two. Um, it, it's like a little bit of a Wild West approach. Is like, let's, let's take these and to get them done before the next 60-day evaluation shows up, let's bring these to the sites and try different formats and see what works and what doesn't. Um, you know, if we have a bad experiment, there's another one right around the corner. This is an ongoing thing. So we're, we're free to just sort of try things and, and figure out what works and what doesn't. Well, this is relevant because we had an email exchange with Matt Cutts, who's very, very helpful, one of the key guys at Google about, you know, pretty much all their public-facing search optimization stuff. Yeah. Uh, and he was contacting us, and he kind of hurt our feelings a little bit because he was saying, you guys have all these sites. And he, he, you know, he likes us. He's he not going to say anything mean to auto us. Auto mechanics, but Judaism, and German. He's like, you have all these different examples. sites, and it's like, you're, from, from an outside perspective, like from an algorithmic perspective, it might look spammy. And this kind of hurt our feelings because we do so much to make sure that the, the content is, is good quality, right? right? Right. And he doesn't know this, and that's what really bothered me. Is like we don't have enough public presence explaining, look, you know, we, here are the lengths we go to to make sure that every site we create is indeed making the internet better in some small way and definitely not making it worse, right? And there needs to be more public awareness of that. Uh, and I think this is an important process to talk about these 60-day evaluations of, and I, again, get the experts, let the community participate. It's like, are we making the internet better or worse? Like, you tell us, you know? Yeah. So that would maybe help raise awareness of this as well. Is uh, it kind of a scary prospect that we could be creating sites that, um, or traditionally create bad content so we're hurting ourselves by doing it really well? Creating bad is, content is it, really well. <laughs> um, like, like, because I think what Matt, part of what Matt was saying is you're getting into realms that are typically... Um, 
you know, from the content farms. No, I, let, let me let me be specific about what I think Matt was saying. I think Matt was addressing a very specific question, which is, "Hey guys, why do you think uh, we had this?" Um, there, there was some. I, I think it was like the why did server fault? We asked him why did server fault traffic go down with a panda update specifically, um, and. He re- replied to that. He's sort of looking around at kind of like, what does he think about our site and how would the Google algorithm respond to that? So the, the, he's, not, he's not issuing a value judgment like this is good or this is bad or you're good or this is bad. He's just saying, all right, I know that the Google quality algorithm does these things and here's how they might affect you. And what, what he was saying about the Jewish German auto mechanic site is that when you have one property that contains three widely divergent sites on three different topics, that is sniffed by the Google algorithm is a sign that you couldn't be going that deep. In well, other me, words, their me, algorithm prefers read. the awesome site about owls to demand media. Can I read what he... I, I agree yeah. with that, but rather than just summarizing, can we just read it? Sure, do you have it? I do. Yeah, awesome. Matt Cutts, this is Matt Cutts writing us, and again, he, was, he meant it in the nicest possible way, but it hurt our feelings a little bit. He said, you've got a network of 70 sites at this point. You've got sites about car repair, Jewish life learning, and German language. That's starting to move into the areas where content farms used to sit. A lot of your sites don't even have their own icons, just letters. In my experience, when people start running networks of 50-plus sites, the effort spent on each site, this is the important part, starts to get spread pretty thin. I think a lot of your sites sit on StackExchange.com, which has built up its own reputation, but ServerFault.com isn't like that. So, again, this idea that because we have so many sites, we must be phoning it in on some level, right? Well, I should, that, we always certainly are on the personal productivity site. I know we're phoning that in. I, I haven't been to that site once. <laughs> I have a couple times. I, have, I think I did the evaluation on that one. I mean, nothing really bad was happening there. You know. <laughs> well, that's the thing, too. The subject itself may nothing not be... Nothing bad is happening to there? Go there right now. Productivity.stackexchange.com, Jeff. Oh, <laughs> is there a catch-all system for keeping track of things? Good at writing well, to-do like, lists, like but Robert awful said, at it's, doing them. It's the topic. I mean, some topics are just kind of weak. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Well, that's this is. Um... But what if we have the best <sighs> personal productivity site on the web? Does that make it valuable, or does that make it, you know, still, still? I don't want to call it garbage, but you know what I'm saying. It's it's a bad topic, but a well done bad topic. I these these are hard problems. Like we're solving right. somebody's issue. It, it's like like let's just say you really don't like or don't believe in horoscopes, but we have like the the best horoscope site on the web. You know, you, 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 how do you make that judgment? You know, are they, are they talking nonsense or do we have the, you know, are we solving like millions of people's problems? This might be like a personal productivity problem. But these aren't. Well, look at the site. Let's, let's, let's well, go. I did look at the site. I, I, I looked at a new, a new answer by a new user uh-huh. and it's actually pretty good. In fact, I users because it, it was users. Good. Wait, where do I look for new? Uh, okay. Just anything by user with one rep. Right, right, right. Here. Yeah, Holly, just click about? on a little pro tip. Some people don't know this. If you click on where it says one day ago, it'll take you to the latest post. Like I clicked on the one that says one day ago, Gail. I just clicked on the word one D ago. Oh, that's a, that's a link? Yep. Oh, my God. I know. If you only you knew how our sites work, it's pretty amazing. It's, yeah, if, if only kind of our sites had hyperlinks, had these blue tip. text and underlines. Yeah, I know. But right. if you underline everything, it's oppressive, right? It's like everything's a giant underline. Um, anyway. This is the this stuff that's going on in personal productivity is just conversation. It's like I'm having a productivity problem, and then a bunch of people say, oh, yeah, I fixed that by drinking a lot of milk. I mean, it's well, not 
This Let's go one higher level up. I, yeah. I, I see what you're getting at, and I, I see what Robert's getting at. It's like, we evaluate the topic. Like, does this topic even make sense on our engine? I yeah. think what I'm hearing about personal productivity is it's not really wrong. The content's not bad. It's just the topic itself is weak because it's not science, right? Yes. Who, who is doing this, right? Who is right. measuring this? How do you determine how you can listen to a podcast right. while you're in... It's right. just opinions, right? It's not right. It's conversation and discussion. Everything and here so, is subjective. So Robert and Rebecca, maybe you guys talk. You guys do a ton of work on the Area Fifty One process, you know, to figure out like what kind of topics are coming up, how they're going to work, and can you talk a little bit about your sort of your daily process, Robert? I know you do a lot of stuff on Area Fifty One before we even get to the site stage, right? Yeah, I mean, Area Fifty One gets looked at very closely. All the proposals that go through Area Fifty One get cl- looked at very closely at two points. Um, I watch it every day when the newest proposals get proposed, um, and what you're looking for is blatant type of problems. You want to close duplicates, things that just won't fit on our network, users who just don't get it, that sort of thing. But after that, it's really up to the users to sort of start developing and defining and committing to the proposal. Now, when the proposal sort of starts hitting what we call sort of that point of inevitability, well, what, you do something at like 45% as well. Yes, so what, that's, that's talk it. It's about 40, the commitment percentages that you look at. Yeah, it's at 45%. We, we just figured that's the point where, you know, this, this proposal someday will launch. So we say if this proposal um, was going to launch tomorrow, would we launch it as is? That means is the scope good? Is the title good? Is the description good? Is the community there? Um, if... if, if it, it's if there's just something fundamentally wrong with it, you know, we want to fix it at 45% instead of waiting till you know after it reaches 100% and everybody's waiting for the site to appear. So, and our apologies because we have done that in the past where yes. something got 100%. We're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You look at a proposal and it's ready to go, and you start thinking about it in not in abstract terms, but in reality, and you say, you know, we cannot launch a site like that. It never occurred to me, but this is this is right. this is foolish for one reason or another. Um, but what happens when the up until the point where the proposal reaches 45%, we now have a meta site attached to Area 51. So there's a lot of discussion going on and a lot of, you know, yeah, challenges. Yeah, let's the and URL, discuss.area51. And that's yep. also linked at the top. If you go to area51.stackexchange.com and click the dis- discuss link at the top, where else can people get to that? From the uh, proposal? Yeah, create yes, new discussion. From, the, from every proposal. Yeah, we've done a lot. I mean, anyone who hasn't been to Area 51 in a while, it's, it's worth visiting again because the first thing we did is we've categorized all these proposals so that you can really focus a little bit more on things you might be interested in. And from every proposal, you can link specific discussions to the creation of that proposal. Um, and if you're really just more interested in, in Stack Exchange in general, you can go to the discussion discussion section, which is the conglomerate of, of all the per, you know discussions that are going on for each proposal. But you know when it hits that 45%, we can now really take a close look at how those d- discussions progressed and decide like are there any real issues here we need to address? And they're usually things like, you know, scope is really hard. We're still struggling with you know how to scope a site. Um, you know, do we need mergers? Do we need, you know, if the proposal is just taking too long, do we need to get other proposals merged into it just to, you know, say, you know, these these are great ideas, but there's too many, you know, niche niche factions trying to create this subject. Let's get these people together and create a stronger site. But but scoping is certainly probably one of the hardest problems that, that I don't think we've solved yet is exactly how to scope a site. And then, so once once something makes it to 100%, which I think movies is the most recent one, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you guys do a lot of work around that initial private beta. It used to be a seven-day period, but it's kind of like morphed a little bit into an yeah. end-day period. 
Yeah, uh, we're trying to kind of get that. Yeah, we're trying to get back to the seven-day period and like 14 on the top end because what we found is if it really takes more than two weeks to sort of meet those minimum requirements of, of what gets a site out of private beta, there's some there's just a really strong correlation that there's something fundamentally wrong with the site. So we don't we don't we try not to let them just drag on forever just for the sole purpose of accumulating on the questions. And, and the reason we have this 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 private beta is to make sure the site opens up on day one with basically a full page of questions um you know and plus that you know we want we want more than a full page so that you know you don't have that empty restaurant syndrome but in addition to that we want to make sure that there's a governance forming forming that there's core users um emerging that are sort of going to you know close questions and take care of the site and have meta discussions and a lot of times we get users who you know they, they commit to a proposal they might even show up but they're just not the right group to to sort of create that site and you know the, the site just sort of meanders in its scope and they haven't decided you know what the site's about or they fundamentally disagree or there was a lot of m miscommunication in the proposal process and it's better just to uh close those sites down in private beta than to sort of let them go public and let a bunch of users come in and just start using it and and just really compounding the problems well so right failure failure well i don't want failure is not their word but in it lack of leadership yeah. compounds right like there's not like leaders that are going to magically emerge later if there's no early leadership yeah. on the site and this is why also uh, we started early on deciding that Every site that launches, even in private beta, has to have a meta where we the leadership issues can be worked out. You know, how does the site work? Why are we doing this? How are we doing this? All that stuff gets gets moved over to um, the site's meta, and that's where you guys spend a lot of time, isn't that right, Rebecca? On the on the private betas, right? It's a lot of just trying to educate the users and make sure that they're getting off on the right foot, um, because if you can take care of these issues early on, it's just going to benefit everyone. Oh yeah, I mean we've certainly seen that on a lot of sites where they they unconsciously adopt sort of bad habits, <laughs> and those bad habits, and we've seen that on Stack Overflow. We made a lot of mistakes early on by allowing sort of the fun, the egregiously fun questions. I mean some fun is allowed, but stuff that was really off topic that we didn't know until later, and then it was like part of the fabric of the site. And then there was a bunch of people complaining because like, well, this is the way we've always done it, you know, even though the way you've always done it doesn't really work. <laughs> <laughs> and just we've always done it this way is kind of a bad reason to do anything in life. It's mm -hmm. like you should be constantly reevaluating, like, why are we doing this? What is this for? Just because we've always done it this way doesn't actually mean that's a good thing, right? Uh, but yeah, earlier the better because the way I view this is what I call the Stack Exchange cake recipe. And I really don't like it when communities repeat the same mistakes that we made earlier on. I feel like that's our failure to to reach in and help them figure that stuff out a little bit earlier than we did so they don't have to, you know... Yeah. Repeat mistakes. I'm, I'm I'm a fan of all new mistakes. You know, new, yeah. exciting, never well, foreseen mistakes. It, it, I mean, we have Ooh, to I get made in one there. Yesterday, what was that? <laughs> Go on, carry on. I'll try to remember my mistake. <laughs> I think I think one of our most important roles, the fundamental thing that we that we do the most, is is where we have to get into these um, early betas, and exactly what what Jeff just said that, um, you know, we we have a lot of hard earned lessons that that we had years to work out over Stack Overflow, and these these sites don't have years to sort of relearn those same things, so it gets really difficult sometimes to go in and and shut down specific behaviors that on the surface or when the site is very young look completely harmless. And, and you have to instill on those communities just exactly, you have to say like, you know, 
fast forward. Here's where this is going to be a problem. And hopefully you can convince them quick enough before they sort of start heading down that road. And the, the only time, the only thing I'll add to that is there are some unique elements to some communities. Like one thing that gaming really struggles with is the tagging issues that they have because every top level game ever created from Pong onward is a tag. Mm -hmm. And it's just unavoidable. There's no, the topic matter kind of dictates this, right? It's not wrong to say that, but that leads to a lot of other issues in the tagging system that are really hard to figure out. And it's really just something about the topic. It's not like they're actually doing anything wrong. Uh, I think there's ways you can sort of ameliorate that and work around it that they have to be sort of a little extra disciplined in the way that they tag. But we have seen certain communities sort of have some unique needs. Like I acknowledge yep. that. Like we're also evolving the engine. You know, we're not saying, okay, this is the engine, this is the way it works. We're, we're sort of poking the boundaries of the engine out a little bit in certain areas. But we have to map the engine to the topic. It's not the other way around. It's not like because we have this new topic, we're going to change the way everything works. Because, you know, we again, we have our cake recipe. We can't change it to, you know, a turkey recipe. It's a cake. <laughs> uh, but you can obviously have lots of different kinds of cakes. That's perfectly valid. Uh, so I think that's also another thing that I, that I enjoyed. And I think you guys participate in, in, in uh, helping a lot is like figuring out the unique elements of these communities you know that that do have some other uh, needs like i know i was kind of sad game of go got closed because i know ben wrote a uh, a really cool javascript board parser yeah that is up on the uh, board site now yeah yeah what's nice about that Not sort gone. of shutdown is that we did get enough of a community to sort of bring them to one of our existing sites and they do seem perfectly happy to enhance one of our existing sites um, I would I would love to see a lot more of that in our network where, you know, a shutdown or a reboot or whatever we want to call it isn't like a death sentence that maybe this is somehow in the future a more iterative process where it's like you guys didn't get it quite right. But, you know, you're welcome to try again in this different format. Well, a good example that I think is the, the atheism site, which was really not working. Uh, but we brought a lot of good users to Skeptics. Like some really, really smart, really intelligent users came over to Skeptics. And yep. uh, I, I was very proud of that. Like you said, we didn't throw everything away. First, it's Creative Commons, so nothing's ever lost. Uh, and B, you get some really smart users that, that again, it's our job to educate them and, and sort of find the users that are leaders and sort of teach them the Stack Exchange way. I mean, I, I liken this to really being a religion. Like this is, you don't change the world by creating a product, you change the world by founding a religion. And you're basically teaching people the tenets of this religion. It's that, you know, it's information first. And, you know, the, the, the thing that's sacred is this idea that we're creating these artifacts that are going to move this topic forward in the world, not just, you know, on the internet, but in the world in some small way. And the users who believe in that are, the, are really your, your best allies to, to making that happen. And retaining those kind of users is I think a huge measure of success. So it's always exciting to hear that. Right. Bringing that back around to, you know, when do you shut down a site? It's, 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 it's really interesting. Like you, you agonize over these decisions and sometimes uh, just asking them in meta, you know, is it time to shut this down? You get, sometimes you just get that sense of total apathy and something we agonized over um, when we shut them down, you know, it's barely a whisper. Compared yeah. to other other communities who are just like, oh, wait a minute, you know, you completely misunderstand why this is so valuable. And I've actually gone back a few times and said, oh, maybe this isn't a shutdown situation because we do have some things we can work on. What were the sites we actually shut down? Those? I, I'm trying to make a list. Atheism. We've got Gadgets, Gadgets, which was just one of our early examples. Right. Um, AI. AI. Atheism. Uh, freelancers. Freelancers. I don't even remember that one. That was the one, uh, you know, after they were a bunch of people asking, how do I find work? 
Yeah. <laughs> and that's why we shut them down because after that, it was hard to see where they were Just going. one question. <laughs> um, yeah. There was Go and, and recently CGI, our 3D graphics site. Guitars, yeah. That's that was Merchant of Music, though. That's yeah. a good example. But that's a good example of, you know, it's a, it's a good, good subject, just sort of gone bad. We didn't pick the right scope. So we, we made good on that community. The same with the CGI site. Um, we had to shut that down because it's a good subject. It probably could have worked as is. It may work you know, again in the future. It may work again, and that's the idea. We said we told them explicitly, we said, we're shutting you down, but we don't want you to consider this shut down. We want a reboot. So please, like the like the number one thing you guys should do is go back and create the proposal. We shut down and, uh, how things work. That's a good example somebody brought up in the chat room. Uh, oh, yeah. Every one of these tells a different story as to why we shut it down. We shut down atheism because they ran out of questions. We shut down gadgets because there was no overlap between the people asking the questions and the people that had the answers because everybody has a different set of gadgets. Yeah. We shut down AI because there were no real AI workers in, on the site at all. There was nobody on there that was actually working in AI or knew anything about AI. So the questions were all like... You know, what do AI researchers wear? <laughs> you know, yep. I mean, like not not really AI questions. Uh, yeah, freelancers again just became you know whining about getting getting jobs, mm -hmm. um, and uh, the other ones were just kind of small. How things work, we shut down because uh, it was turning into a cut and paste things from other places on the internet and make an inferior page. So. Um, it was all like, you know, how does a pencil work? Well, according to Wikipedia, and then you know the whole thing <laughs> then cribbed. Yeah. Uh, and I do have a list of the sites that we closed, and like sort of the lessons learned from that. And and the idea of this this cake recipe that that Jeff mentioned was, um, you know, we the, the newer sites we create are actually at quite an advantage because we. we we learn from all these sort of missteps, and we can identify these problems. And we're, hopefully, we're not just we're just not repeating them. So, you know, it, yeah. it, it's useful to sort of... Mostly not. Sometimes I think see things on Area 51 that make me cringe, and I'm like, oh, no, they're about to repeat that. Yeah. And we tried... We did make a big change in Area 51, which was having closed reasons on the questions. So the questions, uh, rather than... The, the original goal of the questions on Area 51 was to describe the boundary of the topic, what's on topic and what's off topic. Um, what we're seeing is we would see a site fail, and we'd go look at what happened on Area 51, and we'd be like, oh, yeah, no wonder it failed. Um, it's the same as Area 51. There's nothing good here. And and the real reason is that we didn't have enough close reasons on Area 51, enough ways to say, this is not a good example question because this would not be allowed on the site because this is a shopping question or this is a conversation or this is whatever. So we now have on Area 51 all the same close reasons for sample questions as we do on the site itself. Uh, the trouble is that that's taking a while to work its way through the system. So we still have sites yeah. coming up and getting created that uh, had their sample questions developed long before. Yeah. We're, we're, we're looking at Area 51 and, and, and as much as we possibly can until we get to sort of a second generation product is, is go back and try and, um, you know, simulate the actual experience of, of using a Stack Exchange site. So, you know, while we had this sort of crazy idea of, you know, vote is on topic, vote is off topic, it said, why don't we just use the same interface that our users of Stack Exchange have become accustomed to? And like I said, anyone, every, anyone who hasn't been in Area 51 in a while, you really should check it out um, because you can go in and, you know, there's, there's comments on example questions and you can, you know, vote to close them, vote to reopen them. And we really want to create that same environment of a stack exchange site that, that sort of guarantees the questions are of good quality. We haven't, we haven't instilled that, yep. that behavior in Area 51 yet, but, um, yeah. you know, the, the top example and uh, on and off example questions, um, you know, usually aren't that great. And, no, they're and, usually very broad. 
Yeah. And I think if the users went in and sort of jealously guarded, you know, saying these aren't good enough to launch our site, um, yeah, we would actually get a, 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 def- a definition phase that was actually usable on the real site. Do we, uh, here's a question from the chat room. Uh, wouldn't it be simpler just to create a catch-all site, answers.stackexchange.com, and split off topics as they grow large enough for their own sites? So, like, uh-huh. why don't we just make, um, you know, Quora, <laughs> and then when uh-huh. anything got big, then it would get its own site. Well, that's gadgets in a nutshell. And that's it, you won't have a community because why? These people have nothing in common. Why would they go mm-hmm. there? Yeah, I mean that's like saying Easy. let's just create gadgets again. I, I that would be repeating that's the more same than gadgets. It's uh, much bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think also you turn the appearance of the site into like a chat, more like a chat room than a what we call a quality Q and A. And users are just going to uh, imitate what they see. Right. So the chances of generating. Like, you know, we call it Yahoo Answers. I mean, that's, you know, really what they're talking about is something where yeah. you can ask Yahoo anything. Yahoo calls it that, too. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's the name of the site. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but, but the chances of creating a good, let's say, um, what's one of our sites, uh, DIY site, out of that is, is so remote because the, the site itself isn't being conducted right. well. You're, you're, you're breaking your own philosophy and saying, let's, let's, let's cherry pick the good topics. But those, you're not going to get a good quality community out of it because yes. it's being used as a chat, a chat site. Well, one thing I yep. do want to mention is that one way this can work, it's not quite what the questioner was at, was describing, but like on Stack Overflow, the divide between Stack Overflow and programmers. Because to me, you know, there were a lot of questions that, that were, were not really bad questions. They were just, you know, soft questions, softer than like, mm-hmm. okay, here's my code. I don't understand why this isn't working. Help me out. It was like, I have this issue with, you know, uh, some some algorithm trying to design. It was much more abstract, and it was what I call a whiteboarding problem versus a compiler problem. And you can take things that are sort of just marginally off topic that aren't quite working but should work. You're like, you recognize the kernel of something useful and good in the question. That can become a new site. But just to say, somebody asked a question about how to install hardwood flooring on Stack Overflow. <laughs> so therefore, we're going to create a DIY site. I mean, that's crazy, right? You can peel off, I think, on large... This only works on very large sites, by the way. Like, I don't think even serverful or super user could probably support this. But on enormous sites, you could say there's this class of questions that's kind of working, but not quite. But that could probably make another site. And that was kind of the genesis of programmers, which I, I think... You know, it, it certainly has challenges because it has a lot of soft questions, but um, I think it's it's very popular and it's generally working. It takes really good moderators. So that brings me to our next topic of really good moderation, which a site like Programmers needs. That actually, uh, by the way, that takes us full circle because the fact that we have 260 moderators on this network shows that we're not really spreading ourselves too thin. <laughs> I mean, that's that answers Matt Cutts' question of like, you know, how can you guys, are you spreading yourself too thin? Um, well, no, we built a two-tier system, essentially. It doesn't require me to go into a site for it to be moderated and for it to be good. Right. Well, Certainly, the users can do it. That's what the reputation system is about. But also, there's this process, and I think maybe Rebecca is a good person to talk about this, of how, how do you identify sort of leadership sort of at the... Because we start doing that. When do we start doing that, Rebecca? Like, when, like beginning of public weeks, beta? Yeah, a couple weeks into the public beta. Um, and we just look for people who... They're participating on Meta, so they're showing, you know, that they they don't just care about answering stuff, but they, they want to see the site grow into something big and... and something that has good quality. Um, We look for people who are editing to improve the content, um, who are voting to close, just other activities besides just asking and answering questions. Um, 
and just as an aside, like John Skeet, when we were first doing moderators, people were like, well, obviously John Skeet has to be a moderator. Nope. But John Skeet himself said, no, I don't actually want to be a moderator. <laughs> Which is really he wants true. Questions. Like you don't you don't necessarily want your high rep users to be moderators. That's that's one of the fallacies. That's one of the sort of flaws in our election system that we're trying to fix. Is that that's they like, tend to elect the people with the highest rep. That's like asking like, your uh, your grandparents to be ushers at your wedding. You know, because they're, they're the, the high rep users. Most they sit experience. in the front row. You know, they're not ushers. Yes, the oldest people must be well, the wisest, right? I think Obviously. it's you know, it's worse than that though, because if you have your high rep users who by having high rep are clearly the ones with the most knowledge and you're saying no 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 go spend time on like cleaning up the site yeah. you're harming the site because that's less time that they can spend yeah. answering questions these and, are, and putting out knowledge these are very different things yeah very very different yeah so we're and, and Rebecca do you want to talk about how we refined the, the last election pass to help deal with that uh, so for the stack exchange or stack overflow election we just uh, previously all you needed was a little bit of rep and you could toss your name in and, and nominate yourself but that didn't necessarily mean that you were doing the activities that you'd be asked to do as a moderator. Um, so we just looked, you know, if you had some of the badges that indicated you cared about doing those things. Because if you if you haven't been doing them, becoming a moderator doesn't mean you're magically going to start. Oh boy, yeah, that is um, that is a common theme that I've seen in so many things. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the theme from Area Fifty One, right? Like. The theme from Area 51 is if you haven't been on the Internet asking questions and getting answers to questions by typing into the Internet, you are unlikely to actually do that. And that's why if you vote uh, to commit to a site and you actually participate in sites, you have a much higher your, – your vote is counted for, mu- for much more because you're much more likely to actually show up and do that. Uh, you know, And similarly, like the chaos team – I mean, there's just sort of this recurring thing. The chaos team, when they go out to try to recruit people for new sites and get them excited, they're always trying to figure out ways of getting people that are on the Internet typing. Maybe they're blogging. Maybe they're not typing into a Q&A site, but they're on the, they're on the Internet. They're on Google+. They're on Twitter. They're doing that. Because that, to, to go and get somebody who's an expert on um, personal productivity who um, you know has a TV show and is never on the Internet uh, it requires such a major change of behavior. It's just unlikely to happen. Right. right. So it's just asking users, prove, prove to us that you're interested in doing this first. Yeah. And if you're curious about the election process, if you go to the about page of any any site in our network, slash about, it's linked at the top most of the time unless you have a lot of rep. Uh, scroll down to the bottom, you can see the the, moder- the moderators, and then there's also links to the election uh, uh, where where they were elected. Now, what Rebecca's talking about though is there's two things. There's there's uh, selecting uh, uh, pro tem moderators, which is appointments. Uh, and then we have to decide if a community is large enough to hold an election. Rebecca, do you want to talk about how? Because I know you put a lot of thought into that. So some of the things we look at is how big is the community? Um, I mean, if you know, if there's not a core group of users that are continually coming back, that's a little worrisome for us. Um, we also look at the distribution of rep that the users have. We want to make sure that there's a good middle class. There's users with high rep um, because if everyone is just if everyone's a new user, that doesn't show that it's a cohesive community that necessarily cares about moving the site forward Uh, so we definitely look for things like that we also look at how active the meta site is which again it's just you know how much is the community coming together and working together to grow the site so everything everything we look at ties back to did we eventually have what what was the last election we had that wasn't stack overflow uh let's see we've got android going on now oh nice Um, android 
don't remember. And that, was, that was one of those communities that took a while to sort of get the right kind of critical mass. Because holding an election, which doesn't work, is kind of a bummer. It's embarrassing. <laughs> Well, well, like it's a bummer Syria. for everybody. It's not just for us. I mean, it's a bummer for the community. It's like, wow, we tried to have government and failed, right? Like, that's <laughs> depressing. Uh, so we try to make sure we only do this when we're fairly sure the election is going to work. And this is something that Rebecca, I know in particular, has done a ton of work around. And uh, we get, we came close with our first pass of, of making this mistake, really close. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And we, we wanted to make sure that we didn't because it's just, you know, depressing. And then, so... Rebecca, let's talk about it. So once the, the uh, pro tem moderators are appointed or elected, there's also this process that you guys use to sort of work with the moderators to sort of help them understand our engine and, you know, how does that work? You have, you have well, there's regular meetings for the moderators, isn't that right? Right. So every couple of weeks we hold chat casts with moderators. Um, sometimes we'll have topics where there's things that we want to bring to the community. But it's just about trying to open a channel between the community team and the moderator so that if there are issues that we need to deal with, we can figure out what those are, figure out if there's pain points. Um, and again, just trying to educate the moderators, just like we're trying to educate users on a new site. And to some extent, they're also educating us, right? Like, because I, I, I love the way that new sites, they'll sort of revisit things that we've forgotten or that we forgot to question. <laughs> They're continually questioning things, and, and that's good. Like, I actually enjoy that. I, I find that a lot of the, the smaller sites on the network sometimes come up with the more interesting issues in the engine because they're looking at these nooks and crannies that the other more mature sites have just gotten used to. They're uh, always and, evolving. Yeah, so it is a two-way channel uh, for sure. I want to be clear about that. And then also you guys have, uh, for people that can't come to the chat cast, there's like a moderator newsletter, isn't that right? Correct. We send that out monthly, just quick highlights of very important announcements that they all need to know. Yeah, we have a lot of scattered places. You know, we have Meta, we have chat, you know, the, the moderator chat room. The the idea of the newsletter was, you know, if, if you're not that deeply involved in the inner workings of the site, here's the, you know, five to six things you need to know. You know, it's, it's just a very terse sort of... And anyone can view these, right? Isn't there a blog set up for them? Yes. Moderators.stackexchange.com. Yes. So it's, it's not like we're sending out singular. secret moderator. missives for the moderators to, you know. Correct. Yeah, it's out there for for anyone to view. <laughs> that's that's right. Huh? It's, what happened? Did we, did we run out of stuff to talk about? No, I was trying to think. There was something else I wanted to bring up there. <laughs> you know, we, we you did that mention. I don't, I don't know if I heard it mentioned, but. You know that we don't. We want to make sure the communities are more informed and not just electing the uh, the top moderators. And Rebecca the spends a lot users. of time. The top users. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, Rebecca spends a lot of time on some of these um, these town hall sessions to to make sure there's just much more information available available to the users to you know really select their governance so that you know the site gets off to a stronger start. That's true. We do have the town halls during the election phase, which are very cool. And Rebecca does a great job of sort of summarizing those and capturing that on Meta. So if you're curious about that, not only go to, you know, slash about, click on the election, but also go to the Meta and look at the election tag. And usually there's a summary of the town hall. Rebecca does a great job of capturing that there. Oh, I remember what I want to mention. So Robert brought up a point of like, where do you have to look as a moderator? Say you're a moderator on Personal Productivity, Joel's favorite site. Uh, where do you have to look to see what's going on? Well, a couple things we do, one at the engine level is every time there's a new meta question, if you're a moderator, that goes in your universal notifications. So as a moderator on that site, Joel, you and I would never see this, but it's worth mentioning. Yes. Uh, every single meta question goes into your 
because you've got to look at it. Global You really should be, because we found that sometimes moderators weren't looking at the meta. <laughs> like, right. well, that's not good. So we sort of nudge them along by inserting every meta question that gets asked into their notification queue so they cannot not know. Which is not a lot. I mean, it's not like no, it's, it's noisy. Not. On most so. sites. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. But the other place they might need to look, and this is why we have the newsletters and the, and the town halls, is Metastack Overflow because there's this concept of uh, uh, state government, which is the site, and then there's the concept of national government, which is the stack exchange engine itself. We and we do have both system. of those levels. And you know, sometimes we make decisions at the national level, and we try to make decisions that work for a lot of the states, right? Like the way I evaluated some of these decisions was how many sites will benefit from this change if the answer is one then well you know that's not really a great reason to make this change to the engine if the answer is five six seven all of them then that's a great reason to do this uh, so if you want to lobby for some changes that benefit your site sometimes you have to lobby at the national level uh, we will migrate stuff from the local meta from the state government you know to uh to, to meta stack overflow which is sort of the national government not all the time and one one misconception we had and i know rebecca brought this up and it's a very good point is that you don't have to go to the national government you can just spend most of your time on your local government and not care uh, what's going on meta stack overflow but uh, that's what the newsletters are for is to keep you appraised of anything that's changing at the national level that you know there, might affect you there is sort of a lot of what seems like stupid duplication um uh, which is the sort of the equivalent it, to, to continue Jeff's metaphor of having 50 Department of Motor Vehicles that all have slightly different procedures for getting a driver's license. And that seems kind of like a waste of time. Can't we just have it, that at the national level? And so it's similarly like, you know, people will show up in the metas for all 70 sites and ask questions about voting and closing and off topic. And why is this off topic? And why, and, and, and stuff that's uh, generic, generic to the site. And then they sort of feel like, hmm, should I be asking this at the federal level? Should I go to meta.stackoverflow? Um and I think, you know, one of the benefits of having all that stuff, even though it's super repetitive, having it happen in that community is that uh, th th that community is becomes a self-sufficient place, not just a not just a piece of the larger. Right. Well, it's also a community building exercise because they want to feel like they have yeah. their own governance and they're not just being yep. spoon fed, you know, the, the, the stack right. exchange right. line. They don't, right. they don't want the, the cookie cutter site. So just because they're going to argue about the, the same you know, meta tags that every other site argues about. They had that argument and it's a, it's a, so they it's came a, up to their own decision and they had their it, autonomy and that gives them a feeling of like, like ownership and, yes. uh, and it matters. And it also creates activity on the meta site, which in turn creates a healthy site by saying there's people here that care about this site. Right. Yeah. And you don't yeah. want people really going in there and saying, Oh, we already talked about this. You know, we, we shouldn't be discussing these things. You know, you do want, you do want that, that, you know, that act, that extra activity wherever you can get it. And sometimes they bring a new perspective. I mean, you're right. Sometimes it's the same question that's been asked 50 times. But this is what our engine is really good at, is taking a really simple question that's probably a duplicate and answering it really rapidly and giving somebody reputation for it. Now, on metas, there yeah. isn't any reps. So that's a non-issue on the meta. But, you know, I don't mind. Like, you know, when I used to go through and do a lot of this, I don't do it anymore. But, like, answering these little simple questions takes, like, 20 seconds. You know, I just yeah. type, 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 paste. I'm like, okay, here's how it works. Yep. And they got a personal answer from, you know, one of the co-founders of the company. Yep. Wow. That's kind of awesome, right? There's uh, also <laughs> it's, there's also a lot of common fallacies that that you know when the site goes through and asks the questions and they give the wrong answers and then users jump in and saying, well, no, listen, this is this is really the truth here. Um, you know, they, they they learn from that experience, you know, by going through it themselves rather than just being fed like the the doctrine saying this is the way it is. We decided that two years ago, and this is how it's going to be. Is is sort of going through that process in meta. 
Yeah, and some of the metas can be pretty feisty, and that, that's good. Uh, you know, I like active metas. I like, you know, a little bit of argument on the meta because it means people give a crap, right? Like, yep. I mean, they should. They should push for the things that they want. Yep. Uh, and, it's, you know, it's always a negotiation, but that's that's a sign of life. And, and when you go in and, like you said, when, when you post something like, we're closing down the site and everybody's like, meh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> At least you don't feel thing. bad about it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, to 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 uh, bring it full circle back to the topic of the site that I closed down a long time ago, and the people just would not go away. Uh, the uh, um, you know it, 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 the fact they don't care that you're closing down the site means that there weren't really bonds being formed there. The people don't really care about one another. We're not being a transport mechanism uh, or a communications mechanism for a group of people that uh, want to communicate amongst one another. We're just sort of a place on the internet where people are typing, and that's uh, not enough essentially. To justify a site. Okay. Well, that is Stack Exchange Podcast number 30. Well, that was good. And uh, like I said, the reason this is important is, A, because it's important, period. But also because I was a little offended by, I mean, and Matt Cuts meant well. I know he wasn't trying to piss yeah. me off. But, like, we do a ton of work to make to make our sites to, awesome. To ensure that we're doing the right thing at yeah, all absolutely. times. And really, the only failing is maybe we're just not talking about it enough. Maybe we should be more public about this so more people realize that this stuff goes on. Yeah. You know, they, like, uh, to the well, extent that people don't know about this, then that's that's our. We sort of favorite. we have a we have a very interesting infographic planned. I don't cool. want to tip my hat to that one, but that's gonna be cool. Okay, all right, it's gonna be very it's, very cool. Sounds it sounds awesome. It will draw attention to the fact that we hate bit bad stuff. Yes, 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 yes. And and in our defense, like I, I do look at pretty much all the sites that get created at some point and I rarely see things that, that give me pause that are like wow this I am ashamed to be associated with this content I mean it happens every now and then uh, but in general we've the engine does a really good job of A we do a great job of educating people and the engine itself does a good job of sort of addressing some of the common internet problems like math yeah. has always been a really natural uh, melding to our topic and one of the things they brought up on their meta was the engine's amazing resistance to cranks which is a huge problem <laughs> math community. Like it's yeah. ruined. Use math on Usenet is completely gone because of all the cranks. People it's that are like two people. You know, one equals two, and you yeah. know just crazy squaring stuff. the circle. Yeah, yeah, and and they're like this is a complete non-issue in Stack Exchange. Like it doesn't, it just doesn't happen. Doesn't period. Ha um, yeah, what did that? I was I was about to say something like unbelievably brilliant and witty and oh, uh, not to mention uh, that we have. A ninety-eight percent answer rate. <laughs> I yeah. mean, quality schmality. Nobody else even comes close to us in terms of the number of questions they could answer. Nobody else. Other sites would would kill for twenty percent of their questions getting answers of any form, of any way, shape, or form. That's right. like that is something that nobody else has cracked. So, so we've gone so far above and beyond uh, uh, in terms of just getting ridiculously high. You know, you get something. Something happens. Uh, and it's, we're not we're not afraid to be strict about this stuff, yeah. you know, and not in a mean way. I mean, Joel is always very protective, like in a nice way. You know, yeah. there are rules in the household, right? Yeah. <laughs> when you um, enter the the threshold of the doorway, uh, you know, there's certain rules you agree to when you come into our house, and and they're not onerous, but you know, that's that's what makes it work. So, you know, sweet. Okay. Um, that is, uh, this, this concludes the podcast. Your guests have been, uh, Robert Cartena, who is a community, uh, head of the community team here at the Stack Exchange. And, um, you'll see him all over the network. I don't even have to provide a place for you to go find Robert, um, or Rebecca. Yeah. They, they, if they're, they're doing their jobs, they should be pretty present. <laughs> they're omnipresent. <laughs> um, 
this is true. Um, <laughs> along with the rest of the community team who uh, uh, have not been uh, participating here, uh, Grace Note and uh, Shog9. Um, and who did I forget? And Arthi. Arthi. With two A's. And... Uh, uh, that's uh, it's sort of getting towards the end of the year and the holidays, so we don't have any further podcast planned for this year, but we might surprise you. Um, you never know. You never know. Things things happen. Things appear and disappear at, at, uh, on short notice. So uh, I, I won't say see you next week, but we'll see you next year probably. Yep. See you next year. <laughs> <laughs>